Our world is awash in witchcraft. And what does the Bible say about this flood of the occult? Well, Jesus warned us in advance that many false prophets and false teachers will introduce heresies and even end time occult magic. And many persons will be deceived into rejecting the truth of God's word. So these are dangerous days, but the Lord has promised protection to our souls. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Hello, I'm Christine Dark. Today, because of media attention lavished on celebrity, atheists, psychic mediums, and false teachers. Tragically, many people are simply being deluded or brainwashed into rejecting the authority of this book, the Bible. It's the case of the old adage that if you hear a lie often enough, you'll begin to believe it. There is a proliferation of religious leaders who are only out for themselves, and they'll say anything to gain your confidence. Even the elect will be deceived if it were possible. This is not science fiction, but according to the Bible, the last days will be like the days of Noah, when fallen angels interacted with humans. During the past decades, there has been an explosion of UFO sightings. The deception of fallen angels is a sign of the end of the age, so don't be deceived. Be prepared to discern them. A Christian documentary against occult practices condemns the current Harry Potter mania, warning young people that wizards and warlocks are enemies of God. We're living in a time of great church growth in certain parts of the world, in Africa and Asia. Yet in the West, we're experiencing the great apostasy as churchgoers reject sound doctrine, forsake the Bible, and look increasingly to Rome and its traditions rather than appreciating Bible prophecy being fulfilled in Jerusalem, where Jesus will return. Hallelujah. Rampant replacement theology increasingly denies that God will once again pass the gospel baton to the Jewish people. That's why God commands us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and to minister mercy to the Jews in this their time of regathering. But instead, there's so much focus on the invasion of witchcraft, yoga, tickling ear preachers and practices forbidden by the Bible, as well as wicked attempts to divest the churches from our parents in the faith, the Jews. Turning our backs on Israel and the Jews is a form of witchcraft because God sets out the principle in his word that rebellion against God's word amounts to witchcraft. A disturbing headline in Sign of the Times says that millennials are rejecting mainstream Christianity to embrace witchcraft and the rise of the occult. Pagan religious practices increased in the United States over the past decades, with millennials now turning to astrology and worthless activities like tarot cards. 
Even some so-called churches have been using tarot cards to try to lure in people. But the rejection of our Judeo-Christian culture always leaves a void. You see, we're essentially spiritual beings. God created us that way. So it is inevitable that we'll seek to fill the void inside us with some things. Nevertheless, the number of witches and Americans practicing Wicca religious rituals has increased dramatically since the 1990s with several recent studies indicating there may be at least one and a half million witches across the country. And if those numbers are correct, that means witchcraft now has more followers than, for example, the 1.4 million mainline members of the Presbyterian denomination. There have been many headlines about witches seeking to put a hex on the President of the United States. And during the Congressional confirmation hearings of a Supreme Court justice, a witch's coven reportedly tried to put a hex on the conservative judge. Of course, believers shouldn't be afraid of hexes and curses because the Bible teaches that an undeserved curse will not stick to a person who is protected by the Almighty. Dabbling in the occult, seeking psychic mediums and witchcraft are condemned and forbidden in the Bible. There are several references that strongly prohibit such practices. For example, in the Torah, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 11 and 12 are very uh, specific, condemning anyone who casts spells or who is a medium or spiritualist or who consults the dead. God says anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable practices, he said, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. It's been suggested by some scholars that the word witch in Exodus chapter 22 and verse 18 might be better translated as poisoner. That's interesting, but the real meaning of the Hebrew is enchanter or conjurer or magician. Also in the Torah, Leviticus 19.31 gives this prohibition. It says, do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritualists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. That really teaches because it is a defiling thing. Deception and deceit defile. And in Leviticus 26, God also warns, I will set my face against anyone who turns to mediums and spiritualists to prostitute themselves by following them. And I will cut them off from their people. Some practitioners of Near East religions also pose as mediums, channeling messages to impersonate the dead. On the other hand, demons can act as familiar spirits because they've been around and they are familiar with circumstances. And when they impersonate deceptively, they give an air of authenticity. The contemporary English version translates necromancy in Deuteronomy 18.11 as referring to any kind of magic. The Apostle Paul's epistle to the Galatians includes sorcery in a list condemned as works of the flesh as opposed to true exploits 
genuine works of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want us to look in the Hebrew Bible. There's an incident in the 28th chapter of the first book of Samuel, when Israel's first king, King Saul, consulted a witch to try to summon the spirit of the prophet Samuel. Saul wanted to inquire Samuel about an upcoming battle with Israel's enemies, the Philistines. This incident of necromancy illustrates how far from God Saul had fallen, that he would consult with a witch, knowing that it was forbidden, but his attempts to hear from God by dreams, by prophets, or by the breastplate of the high priest, these had all failed. And having driven out all necromancers and magicians from Israel, Saul now searches anonymously in disguise for a witch, and his search leads him to a woman at a place called Endor. She claimed that she could see the ghost of Samuel arising from the abode of the dead. Interesting that the Septuagint, the 2nd century B.C. translation of the Bible, describes the woman as a ventriloquist. But the witch is not really throwing voices because she's frightened when she hears a voice predicting Saul's downfall. And the king is also terrified. The next day his army is defeated and Saul is fatally wounded by the Philistines and he commits suicide. Now for centuries, church fathers and even today modern Christian writers still debate the theological issues raised by the tragedy in this text. The story of the Witch of Endor appears to affirm that it's possible, though forbidden, for humans to summon the spirits of the dead by magic. Bible literalists believe the story to be historically accurate, but they also contend that the witch had never actually summoned up Samuel. Rather, this was the supernatural intervention of God in the passage to rebuke Saul. Because even the witch was surprised by what happened, she was afraid because she realized that she was not in control of the situation. Well, what a tragic end to Saul's life. And can you imagine any monarch today writing a book on demonology? But King James of England did. I found it fascinating. I discovered that in his philosophical book on demonology, he argued against the ventriloquist theory, stating that the devil is permitted at times to transform himself into the likeness of saints and of certain people. And King James cited 2 Corinthians 11.14, which states that Satan himself can transform into an angel of light. King James's dissertation is believed to be one of the main sources, by the way, that was used by William Shakespeare to describe witchcraft in his production of Macbeth. The Bible story certainly throws light on the degraded spiritual condition of King Saul. He sought the aid of a medium because he had despaired of any message from God. Now the commentaries point out that it's in times of spiritual decay that superstition most flourishes. And this is why we're living in a time of apostasy and decay and so much occult is flourishing. As I said, spiritualists cite the story of Saul and the Witch of Endor as evidence of mediumship 
but Christian authors also suggest that the ghost summoned by the witch was not Samuel, but a demon taking his shape, or some sort of illusion crafted by the witch. Interesting that Martin Luther called it the devil's ghost, and theologian John Calvin said it was not the real Samuel, but a specter. A year after the death of his son, the famous author Rudyard Kipling wrote a poem called Endor, which supposed communication with the dead. It concludes with words that describe defilement. Oh, the road to Endor is the oldest road and the craziest road of all. Straight it runs to the witch's abode as it did in the days of Saul and nothing has changed of the sorrow in store, for such as go down on the road to Endor. Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord, that he didn't keep the word of the Lord and had consulted a medium for guidance. Now, an important verse in this regard is 1 Samuel 15, 23, which states, For rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. That was a word to Saul, of course. Revelation 21, 8 over in the New Testament warns that the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, murderers, the sexually immoral, and those who practice magic arts along with all the idolaters and the liars, will be consigned to the lake of fire. A very definitive verse. So why did Saul consult the witch? Well, we're told plainly that God had stopped speaking to Saul. Let's pause here for a moment and ponder that. The commentaries teach that God's silence is an experience that should be interpreted correctly. The possibilities are too dangerous for the sign to be neglected. First of all, we have to admit that answers to prayer are not always so easily apparent. God's silence is not always a token of his displeasure. Think, for example, of Matthew chapter 15, where the Canaanite woman became more and more aggressive in her request to Jesus when he answered her nothing. But he was, of course, testing her and he rewarded her faith. God's silence may also be intended to invite us to self-examination, and repentance. But also, and this is the danger, sometimes his silence, as in the case of Saul, is a sign of doom. For example, the gracious lips of Jesus were silent before Herod and Pilate. Furthermore, the Bible teaches that to try to jump over clear walls of separation that God has built is dangerous and sinful and willful. Dabbling in spiritualism is indeed folly. When I was younger, I played with Ouija boards and was even sucked into consulting a medium. But at the time, I was ignorant of God's prohibitions. Of course, later I had to repent of these things that are unlawful to God, or he says there would be consequences to breaking his law. In the commentaries, I read about an old lady from Scotland who was dying and at her deathbed, her only son, trying to comfort her, said to her, Mother, if so be it's permitted, come from the dead to see me. But she exclaimed, Nay, lad, keep to your side. That's forbidden. 
So that was a wise injunction. Don't try to cross over into realms closed off by God. So what does God think of all these delusions today concerning sorcery and so forth? Please always try to remember that the Torah calls all of these things abominations. And that's a very strong word. It means detestable to God, absolutely loathsome. But as in the case of King Saul, spiritualism finds plenty of victims amongst the troubled of this world, among the sick, the bankrupt, the bereft. That's why it's so important to learn to walk closely with the Lord from an early age and to know his word to avoid traps and deception. Now the commentaries interestingly point out that spiritualism and necromancy conduct their affairs under the cloak of darkness. A seance is always enacted in the dark with the lights off. Why didn't Saul seek the witch in the daytime? Well, not only was he ashamed, but he knew that such acts are performed in the night. King Saul wrongly imagined that he would find help, but as soon as he was resuscitated from his shock, he was told he must die. And you see, that's what spiritualism does. It's doom and death to everybody who entertains it. It ruins the body, the nervous system, and makes life fearful, jittery, and miserable. And if you study various cults, you will also discover that some of the worst deeds of sexual orgies and obscenities are associated with occult rituals, often resulting not only in defilement, but also insanity. Well, every deception I've been talking about today springs from insufficiency of knowing this word of God. God has decided that what's revealed about the future in this Bible is enough for you and me to know about the world to come. Why should we dare pry into that which is not our business? We can't hold the Bible in one hand and play with spiritualism, quackery, in the other hand. For many years, as part of our outreaches, we've prayed for all sorts of people. And because my husband and I were also part of an outstanding ministry in Africa for a number of years, we've seen just about every kind of bondage due to witchcraft set free in the name of Jesus. I'll never forget praying for a madman who wandered into one of the meetings in West Africa. And in the name of Jesus, he came back into his right mind and cleaned himself up and was fully clothed. When we first joined the team of Reinhard Baca in Africa, we noticed in his big outdoor meetings that there were designated tents where people were prayed over for deliverance from evil spirits. We asked if the ministers in the deliverance tents were especially qualified or trained to be part of the deliverance team. But the person in charge said, and I loved his answer, Casting out demons is the work of every believer, according to the Great Commission. Indeed, in Mark 16, 17, the first of five signs that follow every believer is that we shall cast out devils. Then we'll also speak with new tongues, we'll cast down serpents, and if we drink any deadly poison, it won't harm us. And then we will also lay hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. So, casting out or exorcising devils is a duty of every disciple of believer. 
but how few actually dare to do it. The casting out of devils is not just a ministry for the third world countries. With apostasy in Western churches and so many people trafficking in the occult, deliverance ministry is vital everywhere today. Once when we were preaching in Egypt, a person fell down as if dead and stayed unconscious for a long time. And we also saw this manifestation in one of our open-air meetings in Faisalabad, Pakistan. A woman in the crowd looked as if she was playing dead. Both times, in the name of Jesus, we rebuked the spirit of death and the persons were set free. Sometimes their eyes roll up in the back of their heads with only the whites of the eyes visible. This is an evil spirit's way of avoiding looking at you in an effort to keep the victim from making contact and getting help. Although it's the mandate of every disciple to duplicate the exploits of Jesus, and that surely includes casting out demons, we also must heed the admonition of the Apostle Paul to covet spiritual gifts, especially the gift of the discerning of spirits. When we possess the gift of discerning of spirits, we can know when someone is influenced by the Holy Spirit or by their natural human spirit or by an evil spirit. Because of this gift of the discerning of spirits, some believers have the God-given ability to recognize the presence of an evil spirit and to cast it out. Demonic powers can appear to heal somebody simply by removing the evil that they have inflicted on that person. And consequently, that person is duped into believing that he's been healed by a witch doctor or some sort of new age practitioner. That's why so many false ministers seem to be able to heal and to hook their victims with lying wonders. So it's very important to understand that satanic forces can let go and remove their oppression temporarily to deceive the person into believing in a false healing. Jesus commanded devils to depart and we should do the same in his name. I usually say to a demonic presence with great authority, be gone from me in the name of Jesus. Sometimes evil spirits will recognize your authority and scream out, why have you come to torment us? But they must be rebuked and dismissed in Jesus' name. In some Christian circles, there's too much emphasis upon the devil. I'll never forget mentioning to evangelist Reinhard Bonka a number of years ago that I had read a communication about Haiti that some voodoo priest had planned to sacrifice a goat on a mountain to rededicate that nation to the devil. So I said, we need to pray, but I'll never forget his answer. Reinhard Bonka was not impressed with the devil's power, but he was totally impressed with the power of the blood of Jesus. He said, oh, Christine, don't you know the devil dealt with all of that hocus pocus 2,000 years ago at the cross? Well, amen. So I learned to take that attitude on board. And what about displaying occult objects in your home? Reinhard Bonka always taught in his gospel campaigns that if you have idols, charms, witchcraft potions, or any paraphernalia of the devil in your home, that gives Satan the right to come into your house to inspect his property. So you have to get rid of it. This teaching is in line with the Bible. Dispose of these things and do not pass them on to others to be defiled by them. 
Now a word on ministering deliverance to others. Lead the oppressed person to renounce evil and to sever themselves from any generational curses because the sins of the fathers can be transmitted down to the third and fourth generations. That's taught in Exodus 34, 7. We must all renounce and take authority over any known or unknown generational curse. Now, oil is a symbol representing the Holy Spirit. And in James chapter 5 in the New Covenant, we read, Is any sick amongst you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven. So it's the name, Jesus, the anointed one, accompanied by anointing with oil and the prayer of faith that can bring healing and deliverance. According to James, this anointing is done by the leaders, by the elders of the church. However, there's another type of anointing with oil that can be done by any believer. This is evangelistic anointing. This evangelistic anointing with oil is just as much a part of Jesus' ministry as preaching or teaching. Evangelistic anointing with oil doesn't require the sick person to call for the elders of a congregation. This is because the disciples of Jesus, as recorded in Mark chapter 6, verses 12 to 13, went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil, it says, many that were sick and healed them. That's why I often carry a bottle of anointing oil with me because I never know when I'll have the opportunity to use it. I'm prepared to anoint anybody with oil who has the faith and desire to be touched, healed, and delivered in the name of Jesus. Yeshua HaMashiach is his name in Hebrew, Jesus the Messiah. Well, we hope this teaching is helpful to you for your spiritual walk, and we earnestly invite you to renounce any participation in the occult and clean it out of your past and refuse any participation in it in the future. Have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather walk in the light with the risen Lord Jesus. Invite him into your heart and he will come. We print a free magazine called Exploits with articles about healing, deliverance, Bible prophecy, and end time events. And we have a 24 seven library of video teachings at our website, exploits.tv where you can also read about our anointed prayer convocations in Jerusalem. If you've been helped by this program, please share with us by contacting me on the social media. Until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha.